Okay, let's turn to the Scriptures, please. Psalm 39. Psalm 39. I want to just bring something completely different than I've been on a lot of prophecy and sort of heavy, heavier teaching this last few weeks, morning and evening. Tonight is still a very important topic. In fact, it's probably the most important topic, and that's the salvation of a man and a woman's soul. We're just going to lift one verse out of Psalm 39. Just let me get a drink. And that will be verse 4. Psalm 39 and verse 4. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Let's read it again. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Let's pray. Eternal Father, we ask you that you would take your own divinely inspired word. And Lord, that you would hide this man and let your son, the Lord Jesus, alone be seen. We ask you, Father, that you would take your word and speak to hearts tonight. Hardened hearts, calloused hearts, uncaring hearts. We ask you, O God, that you would bring them in and show them their need of you and their need of salvation. To that end, Father, we Leave thy word in thine own good hands and care and keeping. That thy spirit would move from seat to seat and heart to heart. And even that it would encourage your own people to encourage your own children who know thee as Lord and Savior. So, Father, shut us in and seal us in with your own good self. And, Father, we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for Jesus' name alone. Amen. Tonight we want to speak on three crucial answers to three curious questions. Three crucial answers. The answers of these are crucial. Crucial for everyone here or everyone that will even listen. Crucial because it could determine where a man and a woman spend eternity. You need to know the answer. And there are three questions have been asked here by David. In Psalm 39 and verse 4 he says, Lord, make me to know mine end. And the measure of my day is what it is, that I I may know how frail I am. Excuse me, that I may know how frail I am. Notice, first one, he wants to know, he says, mine end. Secondly, my measure of day is what it is. And thirdly, how frail I am. In other words, he's saying, what will happen in mine end when I die? Secondly, he's saying, How long have I? The measure, what is it before that happens? And thirdly, he's asking, how do I now stand at this present point in time? How do I now stand at this present point in time? Or in other words, he's asking, Lord, show me how frail I am. So we want to look at these. And first of all, do you ever wonder... What happens after you die? We float away and we all get our halo in our harp and we walk golden streets. All of us just go up there and we have a big party and all these sort of stories. Now that's a lie and it's a fallacy. 
Here David wants to know, make me to know mine end, when this happens, how I'll be, where I'll stand, and what's going to happen. So it's crucial to the three answers here to receive these answers tonight, and it is three curious questions. I trust you're curious tonight because David was curious of what would happen at his latter end. Listen to Job from the book of Job chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. Job, the man who lost his home and his his goods, his livestock, his living, his family. Job, who lost everything he had. He lost his children. Only his wife was left. She wasn't much use to him either. And he had it all going against him. Job, who was smitten by the devil and became so sick and so ill that he scraped his skin with broken pieces of pottery or potsherds to try and alleviate the pain. In other words, Job cut himself. Job scraped himself because of how he was feeling on the inside. This is what he says in Job 10, verses 21 and 22. He's had enough. And he says, teach me, in other words, or show me before I go whence I shall not return, even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A land of darkness as darkness itself and of the shadow of darkness, notice, without any order, and where light is as darkness. Job is in a terrible state here. Job's mind is in a terrible state terrible condition and a terrible way. What a terrible thought to have. The horrific scenes that are set before Job, and yet Job in his calamity and with all of his trouble tends to think that death itself will take him out of his suffering. Job tends to think that if he commits suicide, then that will be the end of his sorrows. Job tends to think that death will end it all. And what happens after death? When you die, you die, but there's a resurrection and there's a judgment to be at. And Job here, he's saying, from where I am, I wish I was dead. Am I talking to someone who has thought these thoughts? Am I talking to someone tonight? Is someone listening who's saying, I have been in a place where suicide has been upon me that I have thought, well, it's better to be dead and out of this life than rather be in this turmoil and hurt and trial that I'm going through now. I've had enough of this. And death seems so sweet to you. Well, friend, I want to tell you, Job thinks the same. Job seems to romanticize his demise. He romanticizes death. And yet, friend, let me tell you, the Bible tells us that death to every one of us is an enemy. Death to you and death to me is an enemy. I want to ask you a question. I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to upset anyone here, especially the Christian. How is it when we're told with an illness unto death, we pray for healing when we think we're going to be fine? We're just going to float away and go into heaven. There's no repercussions. There's nothing's going to happen. What is wrong with our faith that we don't know how to die right now? Here we have men, a man called Job who says, suicide 
is the only way out for me. Death will be the end of my problems. And I want to tell you something, friend. That is a lie. And do not listen to the lie that you're hearing in your own mind. You might say, well, what do you know about it? Well, in my past, before I was saved, I ended up so deep in in drugs and so much trouble that I thought there's people after me to seek after my life. And I stood on the top of a roof and going to jump off it with voices in my head telling me to jump. I couldn't live another moment in time. And all I could think of was flick the switch and it'll all be over. Suicide was my only option. Life held nothing else for me. I was in a terrible way. I was in a dreadful state. And because of this terrible way and dreadful state, I find myself standing on a roof ledge, looking on the roof of a lorry, and thinking I'm going to jump. And all I could hear were voices, jump, 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 jump. That's what it was like. Tormenting me in my head, and I thought, this is the final outcome and the end of all my problems. But somewhere away within me, there was a voice that says, Don't do it. There's hope for you. Don't do it. It's not all finished. Don't do it. It's not over for you. Stand back. And I stood back off the ledge and onto a roof. And as I stood back, I remember collapsing in a heap and saying, Oh God, if you are real, will you help me? You know, God didn't help me that day in the way I wanted to. But God did help me because he brought me to a saving knowledge of his son later. And he kept me alive because I trusted there was more hope in Christ and none in the grave. It's the living that shall praise him, says the psalmist. And here we find that Job thinks, well, it will be over for me if I were to finish it off. Oh, Job is getting all poetic about it. Friends, don't you get poetic about it because death is an enemy. And what a contrast to those who truly know the Savior, to those who are truly yielded to Christ. What a contrast to those who love him, who have been to the cross in repentance and found grace and favor in the Lord, knowing in this life that you're saved, knowing with an assurance that you belong to Christ. Listen to this. We sang a little about it a few moments ago. Revelation 22 and verse 5. In the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, it says, and there shall be no night there. Notice there's darkness where Job is looking to go. Darkness. In fact, in the little epistle of Jude is only one chapter. And in verse 13, Job calls it the blackness of darkness forever. The blackness of darkness forever. There's no order there, says Job. In other words, it's a chaotic place to be because you're without God, without Christ, without hope in the world. But here, it says there shall be no night there, and they need no candle neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Those of us who are saved and overcoming through the blood of the Lamb, you know what you find? That they are 
in the light and not in the darkness. You'll find that there's a kingdom of God for you to enter, for you to live in. A kingdom of light and not of darkness. A kingdom of glory. A kingdom of loveliness and beauty. A kingdom with Christ. And there's that which is in darkness. Blackness of darkness forever. Where there is no order. And that will eventually. By the way, the New Testament many times calls it hell. It's really the grave. Will be cast into, in Revelation chapter 20, the lake of fire. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. Paul says, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Notice how you can find the abolishment of death and receive the gift of eternal life. Friend, you see, eternal life isn't something you deserve. Eternal life isn't yours. It's not something you deserve. Eternal life is a gift of God. It's a free gift given. Eternal life is something that you must receive in this life for the life that is to come. Eternal life is not something you or I or any of us are worthy of, but rather eternal life is found only in Christ. Notice, life and immortality through, to, to light through the gospel. How do we know that we can be in the light? How do we know we can enter the kingdom of heaven? How do we know that we are right with God but through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? We cannot know any other way. There is no other way than what the Bible says. You can be the best and the nicest, the most endearing of people and yet find yourself lost at the end of time because you've trusted in you and you've rejected Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, says, For since by man came death, that is Adam in the garden, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. This is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are Christ, every person that we have buried who have been a Christian, that body in the ground will rise one day. That body in the ground will rise. Be with the Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26, listen, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Every single one of us. From me to all of you. Every single one of you. Every single one of us. Should Christ tarry, you're going to the grave. Everyone. Here in verse 55, we find the blessed hope in Christ. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The redeemed child of God will find that they are victorious in Christ, even over the last enemy that is destroyed, which is death itself. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you Christ's? Psalm 34 and verse, 
39 verse 4, the psalmist says, make me to know mine end. What, what will happen to me? In John 8 and verse 24, the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees, I say therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Jesus said this to men of flesh and blood. If you don't believe in me, you will die in your sin. Jesus said that. You will die in your sin. He also said to them, and whither I am, you cannot come. He says, where I am, you won't be there. If you do not believe in me, in fact, he says, if you do not believe that I am he, the he in your King James Bible is in italics, which means it isn't in the original. We have it here on the screen where it's in captions here, where it's in little brackets that says, if you believe not that I am, who is the I am but God himself? And if you don't believe that the I am is the only one who could come and save you, could come and pay your debt, could come and create this wonderful miracle of salvation by grace and still be justified and be just in all of his ways. Only God could think of a wonderful, amazing plan like that, that he alone could come and bear your sin, that you may go free. Only God could do it. And Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am God, You need to think of the people who say, let's all ecumenize this weather. Let's all get together. And they're not even, they don't even believe in the deity of Christ. You think of them. Who say he's a prophet. You think of them who say that he was a man, he was a guru. Well, he was a, a historical character. He was nice. He was great. He, he was pleasant. He was a philosopher. He was more than that. He was God in flesh. And that self-same God is the one every man and woman will stand before. God has appointed the time to stand before this man. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 3. Listen to what it says. The place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. The place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. A tree cut down, it will not move itself. A big tree, an oak tree, say, for example, falls down and crashes to the ground in the condition of the rottenness of the tree, in the condition on the place where it fell. He says, so is every man who goes to the grave. And in the condition they die in is the condition they stay in and is the condition they stand before God in. And it is the condition that they will stand before Christ in and be judged in Every single one of us. That's why this life, one must accept Christ. We have dedicated a little baby, Emily Grace Nelson. Beginning of her life, do you know what the Bible says about her? Even that little baby is born and shaped in iniquity. And she's so beautiful and innocent. So what doth the scripture say about you? 
Hebrews 9, verse 27 tells us it is appointed unto men once to die. After this, after death, resurrection time, the judgment. So he says, Lord, make me to know mine end. Secondly and quickly, he says, Lord, make me to know as it were the measure of my days, what it is. The measure of my days, what it is. In other words, he says, Lord, tell me, how long have I got? How long have I got? I'll be honest, I wouldn't like to know how long I have. People are given an illness and a a diagnosis that you have X amount of weeks, months, or years, and that is a death sentence upon them, yet we all have that sentence upon us. We just don't know when. In Proverbs 27 and verse 1 tells us that we are to boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And so we're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised your next heartbeat. You're not promised your next breath of your lungs. God owes you nothing. Please hear me. For the natural man and the natural woman tends to think that God owes us. God owes you nothing. But he has done everything that you might be saved. That you might be in his heaven. Here we have James says in James chapter 4. Verses 13 to 16. James 4. He says, go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. You don't know tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time then vanisheth away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If it's the Lord's will, we'll do it. But now you rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. Notice what the Bible says here about you and I saying, we're going to do this and thinking we're going to live forever and we never give him any thought. He says it's boasting and that boasting is evil. And the word boasting here is a big word. It's a aladzonia and it means to be impious, to have an empty presumption which trusts in the stability of earthly things. And we have a, an empty presumption which trusts in the stability of earthly things. There's the story in the Bible of the man who has a great harvest and he says, where am I going to put all of this? And he pulls down his barns to build bigger. When he pulls down his barns to build bigger and he stands back and he fills his barns and he looks and he's so boastful and presumptuous that he's going to have all of this time. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods then have for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. Do your own thing, soul. Be your own person, soul. Be your own God, soul. Listen to what God says, life fool. God called him a fool. He says, life fool, this night shall be required of thee. And then who shall those things be? The Bible tells us not to be presumptuous for tomorrow nor for the future, but we do not know the day nor the hour. 
God looks at it as an insolent and empty assurance which trusts in its own power. And it despises and violates the divine laws of God. So James says, if the Lord will, you say, I acknowledge you, God, that my breath is in my nostrils and only by your grace do I breathe. John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 into 16. Listen to what John says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He says, all of these things you hanker after and feed your flesh with is not of God, but of the world. And it's the same what James is saying. We run to buy and sell. We think we'll go to work, we'll get up, and yet, how many times do we hear of people who just pass away? I preached one night about, about 13 years ago. A full-packed house in Metropolitan Tabernacle. There's about 3,000 or so in it. And there was a man away up the top and I made an altar call and he came to the Lord and he got saved. That man passed into eternity. And he didn't get days or weeks within hours. And he knew not. But yet he received Christ just before it. It was his wife that let me know these things. I didn't know of them. There was an old Puritan called Thomas Watson. And Thomas Watson, he was taking the funeral of his friend John Wells on the 2nd of July, 1676. And looking at the graveside and looking at the, the coffin in the ground and all the bystanders, this is what he says. Meditation on the shortness of time would cool the heat of our affections to the world. Meditations on the shortness of our the shortness of our time would cool the heat of our affections to the world. We love it, the affections, the passion, the burning zeal for the things of today, for the life of today, for the loss of today, for the pride of life of today. He says we eat it up, we burn for it. We give God no thought whatsoever. We don't care about him. Thomas Watson says, oh, if we were to stand and meditate on how short our life really is, it would soon cool that passion for the world. He also says it would hasten our repentance. It would make us think and think quickly that we're not right with God. And he also said it would make us highly value God's grace. Listen to what Job says again. Job 6. Job, pardon me, Job 7, verses 6 and 7. Listen to the speed of life. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eye shall no more see good. Job says, my life is like a weaver's shuttle. That is when the strands come down and the shuttle flies so quickly. Day one, two, three. It's my birthday in another week or two. And I remember so plainly 
when I was a wee boy. And I remember my, my brother and my sisters and my mum and my dad and us all around the house and out streets playing and suddenly, well, my family's gone, they're all dead. And I stop sometimes and I think, well, what happened? And as I look at this, I see that there's far more years from I left school than what I was from I went through my whole two schools. Like a blink of an eye. Like a swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Thomas Watson says, if we were to meditate on the shortness of this time, we'd cool the heat of our affections to the world. Job 9 verses 25 and 26 says, Job says, now my days are swifter than a post or than a a runner, a postman. I don't know if your post is late or whether it's swift, but the post then used to take the mail or they used to take the word and they used to run, charge like the wind to try and bring the warning to the city or to the army or to where they were. And they were the fastest ones they could think of. And Job watching them says, my life's quicker than that. Then he says, they flee away. They see no good. Verse 26, they are passed away as swift ships. As an eagle that hasteth to the prey. Such is my life. Such is my life. Listen to what Psalm 102 and verse 11 says. My days are like a shadow that declineth. I am withered like grass. You know when you're out and the shadow starts to pass and the, the night starts to get dark and it just comes and suddenly it gets darker and then boom, just seems to be dark. David says, my life is like that. So how long have we got? We don't know. You don't know. Thirdly, he says, how frail I am. How frail am I? Do you know that there's some people and they think they're going to live forever. No, I'm just so strong. There's other people in their heart and their minds. They think that they are something. They think they're big lads. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm a tough guy. Are you? See, when you're facing death, you won't say that. You don't realize how frail you are until we look at the word frail. It means you're ceasing to be something. You're ceasing to be something. It gives the idea to be destitute and rejected and forsaken. In other words, man and woman do not realize that they're not only slowly dying, but they're ceasing to exist, but also they're destitute before God. They're destitute before God. In other words, they're completely apart or forsaken by God, and only the Spirit of God speaking to you and allow you to come to Christ. Do you, do you know that? I'll come on it. I come just two minutes before I take my breath and say, here I am, God. Give him, give him the fag body end of my life. It doesn't work like that, friend. The word frail here is the word kadel, and it means to be rejected or forsaken, to cease to be something, to be desolate, or destitute, pardon me. 
Let me give you an example. Isaiah 53, the prophet prophesies of the crucifixion of Christ. Isaiah 53 and verse 3, he says of the Lord Jesus, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. See the word rejected? He is despised and rejected. It's the exact same word as frail here. Kadel. He is despised and kadel, or he is despised and totally rejected of men. Ah, I would never do that. Oh, those who reject Christ today are no better. In other words, he is totally forsaken by you. And on the cross, he is completely forsaken by his Father that you may be brought in. Here's one more, Ezekiel 3 and verse 27. Thus saith the Lord God, He that heareth, let him hear. And he that forbeareth, let him forbear. For they are a rebellious house. He's speaking to the house of Israel, and he says, Look, whoever's going to hear, then they'll hear. And those who are going to forbear and say, I don't want to know you. I don't want to know this. I don't want to hear this. He says, then let them forbear. God says, if you want to do that, go your way. Tell them to go their way. To do their own thing. It's the word kadel for frail. They do not realize their frailty, yet they think they are something. Man, in his frailty, he rejects God. Man is frailty, is rebellious against God. Man in his frailty is walking the broad road to destruction and death. Man in his frailty cannot recognize the dangers he is in, cannot see there's an eternal judgment and the repercussions of his soul. Man in his frailty has tried religious and ritual appeasement, which do not work. Man in his frailty cannot save himself. Man in his frailty is a sinner. Man in his frailty is a man who will find himself judged by God. Man in his frailty will die. You know you don't sin. Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. Do you know that? Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. You sin because you already are one. Your nature is your one. How do we know? Look at Psalm 51 and verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 3 and 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Proverbs 7 and 20, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, verse 1 tells us that we are dead in trespasses and in sins. Matthew 19, Disciples asked the Lord Jesus when the rich young ruler could not save himself with his wealth. They asked him, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, with men, this is impossible. That's how frail you are. It's impossible for you to save yourself. That's your frailty. David says, Lord, let me know my frailty. How long have I got? And what's going to happen to me? Friend, if that's you tonight, this is your frailty. You cannot save yourself. How long have you got? You don't know the next heartbeat. What will happen to you when you die after death? The judgment. Thank you for your attention. I'm closing.
So Job asks the question in Job 14 in verse 4, who shall bring a clean thing out of an unclean? In other words, my mother, your mother, who gave birth to us as much as I adored my mom, still love her, 20 years gone, and I still love her. As much as I adored her, she's still a sinner. She gave birth to me as a sinner. Who shall bring a clean thing out of an unclean? You know the only time this ever happened? When a young virgin girl was found expecting of the Holy Spirit and the little unclean girl, in other words, Mary was a sinner, gave birth to the sinless, spotless Son of God. The only one. And he died to save you. He took your sin that you may be free from the guilt, the transgression of God's law. How frail are you? You can't save yourself. How long have you got? You don't know, so you may get right with God. What will happen when you die? Well, that will depend at resurrection and judgment when you stand before Christ, whether you've accepted him in this life or rejected him in this life. When you accept him in this life, you will be in the kingdom of God. For except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you been to the cross? Are you washed in the blood? Are you trusting in Christ alone? God bless his word to our hearts. We pray that while my voice is silent, the Holy Spirit will continue to speak his word into the hearts of men and women tonight. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.